Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Stephen Brannan. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Well, the vigil of All Saints Day, known colloquially colloquially as Halloween, Hallow's Eve, is a strange day to have Mass on, at least for us. We're not used to it. People don't associate church with Halloween, but of course, in the church, Halloween is church. It's just the vigil of All Saints. We've always had church on this day. It's the uh, distancing of our culture from its Christian roots and any kind of tradition um, since uh, the you know, Protestant revolution distancing itself from a, um, a liturgical calendar and then the culture beyond that distancing itself from Christianity altogether. The dissociation of this day with church is lamentable, obviously. Because what we're doing here today is the most important thing that we can be doing. Trust me on that. Being here this morning is the best thing that you can do because you are in the presence of God and you will get to commune with him in his body and his blood. And that is always the best thing that we can do with our time. Aside from then going out as our dismissal always tells us, uh, you know, to, uh, to take that transformative power of Christ with us into the world. And that's kind of basically what I want to talk about this morning is taking with us the transformative power of Christ into the world. In the gospel passage, we just heard of Christ transforming the world, that transformative power of his, the virtue going out of him, and especially, specifically, cleaning and cleansing and healing those with unclean spirits. There's a lot of talk about ghosts and ghouls and unclean spirits on Halloween. It's a day that is associated with them. It's difficult to sort of nail down the history of Halloween as a cultural phenomenon. It has changed and morphed um, a lot just over the last couple hundred years. There's been a lot of uh, sort of changes in in the perception and idea of this day and how to observe it or participate in it. The aesthetic of Halloween has has gotten uh, probably gorier and gorier than um, most of us ought to be comfortable with. But there's something at its core that does go back a long way and has its roots in a very, very human intuition and reality. And that's that the world is a haunted place. This world is full of spirits who are either with God or against God. Spirits who are obeying God or in rebellion against God. We call those spirits in rebellion unclean, evil spirits. We use the word demons sometimes. There is a whole cast of, uh, or a whole system of castes, rather, a, a whole spectrum of spirits out there that we are unaware of. The Bible gives us names for a lot of them. 
Um, and we've tried to systematize them because that's what, that's what we like to do as, as people, is systematize things. Um, but more to the point beyond trying to you know, get a, a grasp of these things is the reality that we can't grasp them all. There's a lot out there that is mysterious to us. And the mysterious has always fascinated people. The things unseen that are um, uncanny, uh, spooky, We've always had a, a bit of a fascination with those things because, well, we just, we like to know what's going on. And, and if there's a mystery out there, it's kind of our nature to investigate it and, and understand what's, what's happening there. But the best way to do that is not to obviously explore it through um, direct and unguided uh, prodding and poking and experimentation. The best way to understand what's going on is to, again, come to church to read the scriptures and to see what God through his saints have told us about the world that's haunted. What we understand the world to be like in terms of all of its uh, haunting with various spirits is a place that was meant to be ordered. When God created the world, the heavens and the earth, he set up creatures to help him run it. Because God in his love always wants to delegate his um, gracious tasks to his creatures. He does this out of love. Of course, God could do everything himself. He needs us for nothing, but he delegates things to us because he wants us to have a share in his workings and his actions. And so we know that in Genesis, mankind was supposed to participate in the work of God through tending the garden, and then eventually, he says, expanding into the world, uh, multiplying and subduing all of creation under our just, righteous rule, which ourselves were under God's just and righteous rule. But in addition to mankind, God also set up other creatures to help him govern creation. And these creatures are the spiritual creatures uh, sometimes referred to as the sons of God in the Old Testament. Angels, collectively, is the name that we give them now. But some of these spiritual beings didn't do what they were supposed to do. We see that God appointed uh, various spiritual beings to rule over the nations, to help guard and guide and shepherd them. Um, Moses says as much that that's what happened with the uh, Tower of Babel incident when God split up the people for being wicked, sent them off into different directions, made them natures, and assigned to them spiritual beings to watch over them. But these spiritual beings didn't do their job well, and they became what the Old Testament scriptures call the gods of the nations. These spiritual shepherds started taking worship for themselves that was supposed to be just gods. Now, there are a lot of other examples of how spiritual beings fail to obey God throughout the scriptures. And by the time we get to the point in the narrative of the Bible where Jesus is walking among men, we see that there are a lot of these unclean spirits afflicting not only nations, but individuals, people who are afflicted by these creatures who um, are now, instead of feeding on their delight in serving God are feeding on the delight in wrecking his creation. This sin of selfishness, of pride, 
that infects us sometimes also can infect the spiritual beings. And they run amok. And so what we see is a world that is out of order. And that's really kind of the basic thing. God created a world to be ordered, and his creatures, us and the spiritual ones, have done things over and over to make the world disordered. So the world is a chaotic mess now when Jesus comes into it. And so what he does is to rescue the world from being chaotic. He rescues mankind specifically by becoming one of us and putting back in order our disordered nature. Because of our sin, our nature, our bodies and our souls are out of whack. We can't do things like we were supposed to do. We don't rule the world like we were supposed to rule the world. Animals, uh, the vegetative creation, presumably all used to be under our good guidance and, and providence, and we had the power to order it well. Now we don't. Look at the world. We've, we've, <laughs> we pollute it. We wreck it. We uh, wreck animals. We wreck vegetation. We wreck everything we touch on a, on a large scale. But also our own bodies, this own little bit of created matter that we are supposed to govern well, we don't even govern that well. We have passions and desires and drives and urges that are out of whack, and we don't know how to order them well. We have things inside of us that are supposed to be straight that are now bent. We have things that are supposed to be level that are now crooked. And this shows in our behavior, in our psychology, in, you know, our whole person. And so what Jesus did, what God did when he came into the world and took on a body and soul, just like all of us have, is that he put those back together the way that they're supposed to be. He ordered his own person, his own body and soul, the way it should be ordered, specifically by submitting it to God, his Father. And then that submission entailed that he walk all the way through our human experience in order to save it all, to redeem it. If there was something that humans had bent, Christ straightened it. The fathers and mothers of the church say that whatever Christ didn't assume isn't healed. If there's anything that makes us human that God didn't take on in Jesus Christ, then it hasn't been healed but we believe that God did take on everything that belongs to us as humans. All of our nature, body, soul, spirit, everything that's us, God took on in Jesus Christ and straightened it out, including death, the final enemy, the thing that really wrecks us, that destroys us. It leaves us with a corpse and a ghost, two things that are not supposed to be. These are not natural things. These are things that God never intended for us as living human beings, and God in Jesus Christ endured even that. He let his body and soul be split up so that he could straighten that out too. If God hadn't died as one of us, then human death would not have been saved, redeemed, sanctified. But now, thanks be to God, in Christ, because he has done that, he straightened out our conception, he straightened out our birth, he has straightened eating and sleeping and prayer and friendship. He's straightened all this out. And he's even straightened out death itself. So as human beings, we no longer have to fear that. 
All we have to do is participate in Christ's death, just like we participate in his eating and his praying and his friendship. Everything that we do, St. Paul says, we do in Christ and we do for God, including dying. There's an old medieval Latin term called the ars moriendi, the art of dying. This concept that dying is not something that we just have to endure, but it's something that afflicts us that we can't escape or get rid of, and we just have to go through it. But rather, it's something that we do. We participate in it. We die well as Christians. In a sense, all of life is a preparation for a good death. What we do when we die as Christians is to submit ourselves to God's perfect will and give thanks. We give thanks when we wake up in the morning. We give thanks when we go to bed at night. And if we get in that habit, if we give thanks when we pray, if we give thanks when we enjoy friendship, if we give thanks when we struggle or have something terrible happen and say, you know what? I am suffering. I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ through this. Thanks be to God. If I didn't have Christ, this suffering would be all awful. But because of Christ, this suffering is something I can give thanks for. And it's the same thing with death. When we die, we give thanks to God for our life and for the fact that death will not hold us. We participate in Christ's death when we die, or at least we should. That's what we should all be working toward, is cultivating that kind of heart, that kind of spirit, cultivating a life that is ready for a holy death to take us whenever God deems it the right time. So on Halloween, on the eve of All Saints Day, we look to the saints, those who have participated well in Christ's life and in Christ's death. What does their current situation look like? It looks like what we heard in the reading in the Revelation of St. John. Souls in the presence of God, giving glory to him, participating in his uh, heavenly worship, and anticipating their future role in setting the world right, in straightening it out, just like Jesus has begun to do. Jesus has already won the victory over death, okay? His life and his death and his resurrection is the final blow. It is the central thing in the whole story of the world. Christ won. Christ is king. We just celebrated that last Sunday. So what we're doing now is a participation in that. It's not still up in the air who's going to win. Christ has won. The saints know this, and they are excited in anticipation of, as uh, we hear in Wisdom, chapter 3, we hear it in the, um, the propers of the, the Mass today, the saints rule the nations. The saints are in charge of creation. The saints are going to be participating in the role that those spiritual beings gave up when they rebelled against God. We hear in Revelation that about a third of the angels fell away, that they fell into rebellion. Well, I heard this on a podcast this week, and it's brilliant. This is from uh, Father Stephen DeYoung, an Orthodox priest who has this tremendous blog. He's now on a, a podcast called The Lord of Spirits. We read about 24 elders in the book of Revelation, and we also hear that a third of the angels fell. Well, what we miss sometimes is the number of the nations 
that, you know, all those spirits were apportioned to, to rule over that Moses tells us about? Guess how many nations there were? 70. Sometimes we hear the number 72. Guess how many apostles Jesus sends out? 70. What is he doing? He's saying people are now doing what the spirits failed to do. Guess what? If there are 70 uh, nations out there and 70 spirits to rule over them and a third of them fall, guess what number that is? 24. So 24 elders now in Revelation are taking the spot, filling the spot of those rebellious angels. The saints, us, humankind, we're filling up that role to govern the world. That's what we're called to do. And we do that through participation in Jesus Christ. So on Halloween, when there are uh, ghouls and ghosts and spirits and long-leggedy beasties and all the other creepy things out there, um, you know, crawling around, still trying to hold on to some little shadow territory in this world, inoculate your kids by taking them out there in the world and showing them Christ is king. None of these things have any power anymore. We have nothing to be afraid of. On a practical note, if uh, anyone's listening from home and you're wondering, what does the Orthodox Church think about Halloween? Well, the Orthodox Church isn't really concerned with uh, one cultural moment or what people in America are doing on Halloween. We're more concerned with eternity. But if you're wondering if it's okay to take your kids trick-or-treating, of course it's okay to dress your kids up and walk them to your neighbor's houses and let them collect candy and say hello. That's wonderful. In fact, there's an old medieval tradition called souling that you could even uh, sort of make trick-or-treating a form of. When you take your kids around and they're greeting their neighbors and saying hello, um, maybe get them to ask their neighbors their name if, if you don't already know them. Ask if there's anything you can pray about. Get your kids to understand when we're going to visit people, we care about them and we can pray for you. If you're giving out candy, uh, like we're doing at our house, um, put a little thing in there with a little prayer and, and, and you know, pray for those kids who are coming to, uh, to greet you. This is a, a joyous night, like all nights are joyous in the reign of Christ the King. Remember what our role is as Christians, to become saints who are to be elevated to the high dignity of rulers of creation like we were supposed to in the beginning. Let's recapture that through participation in Christ's life and in Christ's death. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.